Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning. It's uh, just a real delight to uh, again try to share something from God's Word. Um, I've said many times that uh, in these days, you know, I've done this for a long time, so I should know the whole thing, you know, I, I should be able to, you know, um, just rattle off by memory the, the book of First Chronicles, say. Um, the first nine, ten chapters are killers with all the begats, that took a while. But you know, I, I, honestly, I find myself like a kid in a candy store, and uh, the things that I'm finding that just have such deep application to my own life, and if they do to mine, then maybe, just maybe, they do to yours as well. Um, and so that is indeed to be hoped. But, uh, you know, they say that you can't choose your family. You ever heard that before? You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Now, I suppose that's mostly true, except in the case of adoption, where you actually do uh, do some choosing. And uh, trust me, that's a wonderful experience. Frankly, I'm uh, very thankful for the family that uh, I had growing up. We were far from perfect, uh, but there was love. There was uh, delight. My father could uh, tell a joke with a perfectly uh, authentic Scottish accent, having been born in Scotland and then getting kicked out at five years old because he didn't like bagpipes. Well, that's how it, how it went back in the day. But, but I, I am so thankful uh, for the family I had and, and the one I have now. Uh, it's, it's wonderful when some of your best friends are part of your nuclear or your extended family. And that is the, that is the case in, in my life. Uh, on the other hand, it, it may be for some that uh, you can't choose your family, but you can not answer their calls, invite them to special occasions, forget they existed, and I hope that that is not uh, anyone's experience. But, but you know, the, the business of choosing your friends really, uh, to be honest, in my opinion, has gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, for many in this day of, in my opinion, again, the overuse of social media. Hey, I, I, I like social media. I just learned a text last week, and it's cool. But, but uh, you know, apparently I'm, I'm not alone, because uh, somebody posted that last night the internet stopped working, so I spent a few hours with my family. They seem like nice people good people, you know, that's, that's, that's nice to discover that. To all my friends, I need to be more active and spend less time on the computer, so as of December 31st, that'll be my last day on Facebook for the year. I will return uh, at the start of the new year on January 1st. Thank you for understanding. Uh, yeah, okay. So much for that. But, but, you know, thanks to Facebook, you can have all the friends you want at the click of a mouse, can't you? Now, I wouldn't know because I don't do Facebook, but this is what I've, I've heard. But, but are they really uh, your friends? I got hundreds of Facebook friends I've never met. Hmm, cool. We used to call those imaginary friends. 
says the other guy. And, uh, you know, I never would have noticed that you removed me as a friend until you tried to add me back. Yeah, ever had that happen. But, you know, in a time when even friendship uh, has been trivialized, that's a hard word when you're speaking a mile a minute, trivialized and downgraded from deeply personal and abiding and loyal to superficial, highly conditional, and even maybe imaginary, uh, there is, nevertheless, you got it, a love that will not ever let me go. The theme of uh, this uh, series of summer uh, messages, love that will not ever let me go, and this week's installment is love that befriends me. And um, I bet you can't guess the, the source of this one. Anybody guess what passage I'm going to be in? Oh, you read the email. You know it's John 15, and, and that's good. But uh, So let, let's go straight there. Partway through the um, uh, talks that Jesus had with his disciples in the uh, upper room, it started there and continued on as they walked in the the night towards Gethsemane, he said, As the Father loved me, so I loved you. And it's not just past tense. I I loved you. I used to, but I don't anymore. That's, That's not the intent here. I loved and I keep on loving as the Father keeps on loving me and has done so from all eternity. Uh, but he says, so I have loved you, remain in my love. So the so first thing, the love that befriends me. Did you notice it's identical to the way that the Father loves Jesus? Now, uh, think about that. Think about that. I mean, how would you describe the ways that the Father loves Jesus? Which is really to describe the indescribable, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, and and to kind of get at that, think of uh, the ways that you love your own kids or grandkids or or friends. How do you love them? And uh, I know I'd love to have you just, you know, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to again, Pete, when people can actually speak up uh, in the middle of my talks and, uh, you know, sometimes interrupt me to say something that's even even better than I would have said. You know, that, that happens a lot. But, but, you know, think about the ways that the Father loves Jesus. I think of words like eternally and infinitely. I mean, God is love. And when you realize that God is more than just a, you know, um, a kind of an Allah-like figure, but is three in one, uh, you get eternal and infinite love, which John 1.1 literally describes uh, by the particular metaphors used as face-to-face. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, but there's an idea of being face-to-face, adoring one another. Um, adoring, looking fully in the face. One of the great things to experience in a loving relationship is that you can look at the beloved and they can look at you face to face and there's no, um, no agenda, nothing hidden. Everything's out in the open, honest, true, truthful. Nothing to hide. And uh, 
And when I think of John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, that, that, that comes to mind, a love that's faithful, a love that's loyal. And, and uh, so that's all good, but I, I got a question, uh, a couple of questions right now to ask of this passage, and, and, and it's this, that does this kind of love, which is everything and more that I just described, uh, shy away from asking for and expecting the beloved to endure hard things. With this kind of love, that is eternal and infinite, face-to-face, faithful, loyal, truthful, open, honest, would it ever expect, ask for, the beloved to endure hard things for the greater eternal good? Um, This love does not shy away from that, does it? Uh, Does this love coddle? the beloved, recoil from calling for and expecting self-giving, self-sacrificing service even to the point of death. What did Jesus say in Gethsemane? Really, a mere, at most, few hours from saying this, Father, if there's any possible way this cup can be taken from me, then I'm all in with that. But if not, Your will be done. I'm not calling in to question your love. I'm just asking, is there any other way? Don't you love the full, open and honest, even vulnerable humanity of Jesus fully expressed at that point? Only at most hours from having said these words. But no, this kind of love does not shield the beloved, and in fact, sometimes asks for it, even to the point of insisting on it for the greater uh, good, eternal good, your good, my good. Uh, Does this kind of love, though, provide the atmosphere in which abiding and obedient loyalty can flourish? You know it does. Does it invite the highest degree of security clearance when it comes to access? Access to the Father. Jesus has it. He said, in in me and in my name, you can ask anything and expect the Father to hear you and answer you. He says that a couple of times in this longer passage. High-level security clearance. It's yours for the asking That's the kind of love. That's the way God loves his son. It's the way he loves us through his son. And and is this the kind of love then that you can see yourself remaining in, abiding in, living in, living into, living out in tangible ways? This is more than just touchy-feely, isn't it? As Jesus goes on, he says, the love that befriends me and you, is, it's identical to the way the Father loves Jesus, but it goes beyond that and inspires abiding. You know, think of some of the songs uh, that are in older hymn books and in newer um, you know, productions, we have an upgraded Abide With Me by Matt Marr. There's the original Abide With Me. Uh, turns out, Elton John was one time asked what his favorite song all time was, and he said, Abide With Me. 
Isn't that interesting? But this kind of love inspires abiding and obedient loyalty, doesn't it? Jesus says, uh, remain in my love, or some translations, abide in my love. Um, and, and then he goes on, if you keep my commands, uh-oh, there's a catch. <laughs> Knew there was a catch. Didn't you know there was a catch? There's a catch. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Uh, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Now, at first blush, what does this look like? Have heard the expression quid pro quo? Yeah. It kind of means, uh, you know, I'm going to do something for you, but first you got to do me a favor, or two or three or ten, okay? Uh, I'm going to love you, uh, but you have to do me a favor, and if you, if you don't, I, I'm unlikely to actually withhold my love. Is that what the passage is really saying here? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Um, you know what? I don't think so. Because you've got to take a long view here, for, for starters. Because Jesus is not talking here about getting kicked out of his love. Okay? You don't keep my commands, every one of them, every jot and tittle and crossed T and dotted I, you're, you're out. You don't get to remain in my love. You don't get to abide in my love. That, that's not what's going on here. He's not talking about getting kicked out of his love. He's talking about, listen, abide in it. Live in it. Live it out. Just like I have and am right now and will yet from the point of view of this passage, of of these words being spoken. As I said, only hours from Gethsemane and trials, suffering, humiliation, and crucifixion. It was only hours from that when these words were spoken. Now, now, now think of it. Over the course of your life, this is where it gets uncomfortable. If you want to turn down your hearing aids now, uh, take a moment to do so. But, but over the course of your life, how would you rate your abiding loyalty and unswerving obedience? How would you rate that? Well, you know, um, maybe... You know, I, I always give myself high marks, way more than I deserve. Do you do, you do that? Uh, how about those who know you best and love you most? What would they say? Now, that's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? So let, let's get off the uncomfortable stuff right now. Uh, because, uh, you know, if we don't have a comfortable pew, so to speak, then, uh, you know, that would be a bad thing, wouldn't it? Uh, actually, comfortable chairs. There is no such thing as a comfortable pew, in my opinion. But, but um, you know, just so you know, I'm in no position to judge. You might think I should be, but no, I'm not. Um, you see, again, because in a matter of hours, these very disciples would sleep through Gethsemane, flee the scene, deny they knew him, go into hiding, and guess what? He didn't kick them out. What did he do? Instead, he sought after them. After his resurrection, he told some of the ladies, go tell my brothers I'm, I'm ascended, I'm coming. Uh, you know, uh, they're going to meet me. And we have all of those post-resurrection accounts. And when, you know, he had to, in one case, chase them all the way to Galilee. But 
That's how it went. But he, but he, he taught them so much more in those days. And he tried to explain what, what was ahead. And they didn't always get it, as you and I don't. He's patient. And, you know, even when some were intent on going back to a more normal and predictable life. Now, what could be no, more normal and predictable than fishing? Fished all night, didn't catch a thing. Oh, I'll put the net on the other side of the boat. Uh, you know, but, but uh, some of them were going to just drop it all and, and go back to it. And, and what did he do? He said he recommissioned them, didn't he? He recommissioned them and even raised the stakes. He raised the stakes. Are you kidding? We didn't even measure up. Now, we, now you're raising the stakes. Yes, I am. I'm going to give you the resources. But, but you see, Jesus is playing the long game with us. He plays the long game with regard to their lives and your life and mine. And uh, he's not easily deterred, but rather he's eternally determined to give you every encouragement and every incentive to remain and abide and live into and live out his love with a kind of loyal longevity. Now, as far as incentives are concerned, here's one. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. So, love that befriends me, instills deep joy in the abiding love I'm living out and you're living out. Perfectly? Not quite but deep joy nonetheless as he inspires this abiding, obedient loyalty. Joy. Joy at being loved like this. A joy at being loyal. Living out the commands of the loving one. Joy at being indwelt by the overflowing joy of the loving one who is pleased to inhabit his followers with his eternally delighted and delighting presence. Now, do you know anything of this joy? Do you know this joy? And if not, what's, what's holding it back? Is he holding it back? Is this really a quid pro quo after all? You know, I'll give you what is already allocated for you, but only if you do me a favor or three. You know, that's not the way the Father loves Jesus. It's not the way that Jesus loves you withholding from you the very incentive you need to go forward in fuller and fuller loyal obedience to His essential command. And you know what that is? This is my command. Love one another in the same way that I loved you. Hmm. Love one another in the same way I loved you. Now, now imagine the overflowing joy in the heart of Jesus at seeing this core command upon which all the law, prophets, gospels, poetry, history, letters, and apocalypse hang and hang together when it's embraced and tangibly expressed by you. Imagine His joy. Can you imagine a joyful Jesus? Remember when the disciples came back from a mission trip that He'd sent them on? They had gone, was it two by two or however many? 
And they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And he said, you know, guys, that's great, but you know, don't, don't get so enamored with that. Get enamored and rejoice over the fact that your names are written in heaven. But then it says, Jesus, overflowing with joy, said to the Father, I thank you. And he, and he prayed a wonderful prayer following that. Can you imagine Jesus joyful like that when it comes to the way the likes of us uh, remain in, live out this, this love of His? Keeping this command. This, this is the core one. This is the one on, on which everything else hangs. Love one another same way. I've loved you. Now, in him we see the extent to which he himself would take this. He says, no one has a love greater than this. To lay down your life for your friends. At that point, there might have been somebody going gulp. (laughs) Well, really? Now, for followers, maybe not quite ready to go that far. Uh, notwithstanding all the things they said, all their protests, he said, uh, even if, um, you know, everybody else checks out on you, I won't, and I'll even follow you all the way to the cross, and, and, and all of that um, easy to say brave talk until the soldiers come. I mean, notwithstanding all that, for followers who are not quite ready to go to that extent. He already gave them a representative sample of what he's talking about to love one another in the same way that I loved you. Because it was only a while earlier that he got down on his knees, grabbed a basin and towel, and started washing very dirty feet. Taking a place of absolute humility. The lowest of the low slaves were the ones that would do that kind of thing when guests would come over for brunch or supper or whatever. He's already given them an example. We're going to look at that one next week from John 13. I'm going to go backwards instead of forwards. Just to confusion. It's going to be called love that serves me? you got to be kidding. you got to be kidding. But for now, he just lets this one hang out there. No one has a love greater than to lay down his life for his friends. He just lets that reverberate. And then he says, you are my friends. You are my friends. If you do what I tell you. Now again, not a quid pro quo. You're going to go out of here saying, he said quid pro quo a lot. Remember what it means. I'll do this for you. But you got to do something for me. That's not what's going on here, but rather, you're my friends, and here's the evidence that you are because you do what I tell you. Maybe not all the time perfectly, but we're on the right path. We're on the right trajectory. And together we're going to get there because I'm going to indwell you. I'm going to give you my joy and, and my spirit and my presence, and we're going to get there. Oh, is he ever patient with us? Aren't you glad? But here, he states the evidence which will confirm our status 
as his friends, and, and, and that really raises this. Love that befriends me, updates and upgrades my status. Now, you're my friends. If you do what I tell you, I'm not calling you servants any longer. Servants don't know what their master's doing. I've called you friends because I've let you know everything I've heard from my father. What? <laughs> no longer servants? No, there's a change of status here. On the Facebook profile of those who are loved by Jesus. Now, uh, maybe this screen is familiar to some of you. Maybe 3 or 4% of you. Now, admittedly, I don't do Facebook. Uh, and uh, I don't look at yours. Because to do that, I would have to sign up, get an account, and then I'd be inundated with all kinds of stuff I just don't want to be bothered with. So, I'm happy to accept dinosaur as my status. I'm fine with that. The only question is, is it a little dinosaur, a big dinosaur, a leaf eater, or a meat eater? I'm a meat eater. But, but, but listen, imagine a change of status with Jesus. He has no Facebook servants. He has no Facebook slaves. Now yes, Paul would repeatedly, routinely call himself a servant, a doulos, could be translated as slave of Jesus. And, and I understand that. But Jesus is putting, putting some emphasis here on the fact that, you know what? Everyone who says, I'm your servant, well, actually, yeah, that's fine, but you're my friend. You're my friend. Imagine the change of status that he converts. He, he has Facebook friends, and you're free to change your status to friend of Jesus because he has friended you. And there's nothing imaginary about that, of his friendship. He says, look, I'm, I'm holding nothing back from you. Not my love, not my example, not my loyalty, not my joy, not my friendship. I let you in on all you need to know. And you need to know that this comes straight from the Father's heart through mine to yours. Now what do you think of that? What do you think of that? And there's more. There's more. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I didn't choose my family, Jesus would say. Well, some would argue that in the eternal councils way back, then maybe, maybe you, know, you could debate that. But, but he says, I chose you. I chose you. And beyond that, as my friends, I'm appointing you, I'm authorizing you, I'm enabling you, and I'm empowering you to go and bear fruit that will last. So, love that befriends me. Well, there's a lot of stuff here. It's identical to the way the Father loved Jesus, inspires abiding and obedient loyalty, instills deep joy, upgrades my status, and now He invests authority in me and capacity to flourish and to flourish fruitfully. And that's what he says. I, I chose you. I appointed and authorized you to do what I do the way I do it. And to flourish. To bear good fruit that lasts. Our former president, Phil Del Sol. Remember Phil at conferences? What did Phil always say in regard to this passage? What is the fruit of a disciple? Remember what he said, Ray? You can mumble it. Do you remember? I remember. 
Ah, I was listening. Hey? The fruit of a disciple is another disciple, Phil would say. Often we think, oh, the fruit here is character and the fruit of the Spirit and all that. But And that's true. That's all part of it. Which just describes what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, to bear good fruit, to live out good fruit. And then, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of contagious, which is a real mixing of metaphors, but hey, that's okay. He said that another fruit-bearing disciple is the fruit of a disciple. And he says, go make disciples as I do, calling them into the same love and loyalty and obedience and joy and status I've conferred on you. Go do that. And then, then, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Don't you just love it when people rip such statements out of context? Don't you just love it when they do that? You see, we're, we're uh, invited to access the source and to receive from Him everything that we need. To do what? To bear fruit. That's what it's connected to. So, you see, this promise, the Father will give you whatever you ask in My name, it's absolutely linked to this issue of bearing fruit as a chosen and appointed and authorized friend of Jesus. You can't separate it from this and and make this to be an unrestricted wish list that you are guaranteed simply by saying, in Jesus' name. Then you pound on something to give it uh, a fine point. Exclamation mark. And some people treat passages like this in that way, but don't disconnect it from the context. Uh, This verse from earlier fills it out. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will happen for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear plenty of fruit and so Become my disciples. Abide in Him and His words. Live out of this abiding and ask for what you need. This honors the Father. It honors Him to be asked and for Him to give. He's ready to respond in order to bring about the results that He longs for in your life and and in, in Him you long for as well. So the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name to flourish and bear good fruit. And this is my command to you, just in case you've forgotten my core command. Don't forget my core command. You can get all bogged down with all kinds of stuff. Just, just don't forget. This is my command to you. Love one another. So, so there it is, but, but there's one last thing. There's always one last thing. We can't overlook it. Might want to, but not going to. Because love that befriends me, you see. Here's where you might want to just say, well, I don't know if I I want in because the love that befriends me actually invites and incites the world's animosity. That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't shield them from the truth. He says, this is my command, love one another, bear fruit, good fruit, all the things that I've been telling you. And right on the heels of that, if you can imagine, if the world hates you. What? We're good people. We're fruit-bearing people. We're loving people. Who would hate us? Hmm. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were from the world, the world would be fond of its own. But the world hates you for this reason. You're not from the world. You don't play by the world's rules seeking the world's 
cherished outcomes. No, actually I chose you out from all of that. It's really quite remarkable, isn't it? That the world, broadly speaking, not every person you run into, but broadly speaking, that the world would so hate Jesus and His followers. Some have acted, some of His followers, honestly, in my opinion, and I've, I know because I've been one of them, from time to time we've acted like jerks and we've invited justified disdain, but, but when you truly follow Jesus, loving as He loves, refusing the incomprehensible hatred of a world that has lost its civility, in which you're emboldened to say and do things in service to uh, the agenda of this world and some of its loudest spokespeople who, who spew the worst deception and hatred I've ever seen. Uh, you know, uh, it's incomprehensible. You see, that James 4 says to these people, that's not a very nice first word, is it? spiritual adulterers. Um, he says, don't you know that to be friends with the world means being enemies with God? So anyone who wants to be friends with the world is setting themselves up as God's enemy. Or do you suppose that when the Bible says He yearns jealously, jealously over the Spirit He has made to dwell in us, it doesn't mean it? You see, here's the thing. You and I, who are truly loving one another as the Father has loved Jesus and Jesus loves us. He says, see to it that you don't embrace the ways and means of the world to get what you want. And he says, these spiritual adulterers, back up a few verses and you'd see it, uh, are at war with each other for what they want. And James says they're not going to get it, either from the world or from God. They've taken on the world's ways and means. And this just isn't going to fly with the one whose fierce love confronts this. There's fierce love. Do you suppose that when the Bible says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? In other words, I've put my spirit in you and your spirit is supposed to align with the ways and the fruit of my spirit and the love and the joy that comes from following me in my way and not the ways of the world to get what you need and want, the source of that is the Father. So you can bear fruit, but, but you play by the world's rules, you're at odds. You're making yourself an enemy of God. And, and in fact, funny thing about the world is they'll find you even more distasteful because of your hypocrisy. Saying you're a Christian and not actually following His way. And trust me, some of them are quite good at reading the words of Jesus say, how come you people aren't like that? And we go, well, we don't have an answer. But we should have an answer. We can have an answer that's found in embracing the friendship of Jesus and living it out. Uh, you know, followers of the Jesus uh, who loves enough uh, to confront such things will not be easily abided or tolerated, either among the compromised Christians or the world looking on in disgust. So, you know what? Enough. Enough to know that His love that befriends me, wow, it's identical to the way the Father loves Jesus. It inspires abiding 
and obedient loyalty to Him and His way. It instills deep joy. And if you don't know that joy, then seek Him for it. Because He's upgraded and updated your, your profile. And uh, He's investing authority in you and capacity to flourish. Yeah, to flourish. To bear good fruit. And you can ask for what you need in His name. And yeah, it's a costly love because the world's animosity may well be directed towards you. But hey, that's okay. It was directed at Him. It'll be directed at us, He says. It's a costly love with which we have been loved and are called to love. But you know what? If you can show me a life more worth living, do it. Show it to me if you can. And if it's actual and real and superior and not in fact imaginary, well, my goodness, go for it. Go for it. But if not, if not, then may I urge myself and you to remain joyfully in the friendship of Jesus and flourish for heaven's sake. For heaven's sake. Because that's your ultimate destination. So for heaven's sake, abide in Him. And may His love abide in you that good fruit, lasting fruit, may be the result. God bless you in that. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with Him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC. 